Welcome to the South Mims U podcast. In this episode, we're going to take a rather unusual look at the coronavirus outbreak and the rather strange set of human behaviours which has accompanied it, namely the global panic buying of toilet paper. To help me do that is our reader in scatological studies, Lena Shitkovsky. Um, no, it's Sitkovsky. Oh, sorry. Yes, oh, I should have known. We have a Mark Sitkovsky who heads up our serial killers t- studies department. Well, he used to. He's been arrested and is awaiting a trial. Oh, oh. And you're related? He's my brother. Oh, I see. Shall we focus on the subject of toilet rolls at a time of crisis? Yes, yes, surely. Sorry, sorry. He he was arrested. Uh, please, I can't comment on that case. Oh, naturally, naturally. Yes, uh, toilet rolls. That seems such a mundane subject at a time when a virus is killing people and undermining the global economy. It does. But it's obviously a fundamental subject because otherwise millions of people would not have rushed out to stock up on it at the moment they thought they'd be told to stay at home. But what does that reveal? It reveals a deep level of anxiety at the scatological level. Well, perhaps we should define scatological. It's the study of, well, faecal excrement across subjects like medicine, biology, and even paleontology. You can also use the word coprology. Oh, I see. Oh, I see, right, as in coprolites, which are fossilised... Um, Turks! Uh, Yes, yes. Fossilised uh, uh, deposits. Logs. Yes, yes. A prehistoric dump by a caveman that became a fossil. It actually tells us a lot about how people lived, what they ate, and even their social practices. And their their toilet behaviours. Yes, where they crapped. And how they crapped. And what they crapped. Uh, um, If if you'll forgive me, uh, could we perhaps use language that's a little um, uh, more delicate? Oh, yes. Sorry. Uh, I spend all day with shit, so I find it hard to click back into polite society. I'm inured to the odeur. (laughs) What? Sorry. It's a fancy word for um, droppings, doo-doos, dung, hoop, scat... Waste. Well, yes, yes, I understand. Right. It's so fundamental to our lives that unconsciously it's the first thing we think of when a crisis which threatens supply chains to supermarkets or requires a prolonged period of isolation, uh, such as the COVID-19 or coronavirus break- outbreak. We instinctively rush to the toilet roll aisle and stock up. We do it irrationally and rationally. Well, explain. In our modern society, we have lost the ability, I could uh, even call it art or ingenuity, to clean our bottoms with anything but manufactured, often super soft, toilet tissue. We can't conceive of using anything else. So it seems rational to get as much of that toilet tissue as possible to avoid the prospect of wiping our bums with anything other than a commercially produced product. So it's, it's rational to bulk buy toilet paper? Well, in that sense, perhaps. But it's also irrational. Why? Because in in, in the case of this virus, there's no evidence you get diarrhoea or anything like that. And there's no evidence that the manufacturers of toilet tissue will suddenly stop producing it. And there's no evidence that supermarkets will close. In fact, experiencing countries which have locked down show that the food supply and supply of cleaning products has not been affected. So it's just plain fear? Fear might not be the word. It's a collective nervousness about... Well, 
bum wiping. Well, well, you said in our modern society. So, so this fear, this bulk buying, is something that didn't happen in the past? Not to this extent. At least that's my theory. You see, a couple of generations ago, people were, how can I say it, more flexible about what they wiped their bums with. They used newspaper, pages from sales catalogues, old letters from the taxman, or even bus tickets. Yes, that, that's true. <laughs> I remember when I was a child, an uncle of mine who, who lived on a farm would carefully cut old newspaper into strips and, and then put some string through the sheets and hang them in the outhouse where he... Um, um, he went for a dump? Yeah, yes, where, where, where we all uh, had, uh, did that, yes. We've lost our capacity to do that. We don't think it's right or civilised or good for us, but our bottoms are very resilient they can take a lot of wear and tear. But we read fewer newspapers now. I mean, we get fewer letters. I mean, even, even junk mail has declined. Yes, the paperless office and the paperless society means there's less paper to wipe our asses. Sorry, bottoms, posteriors, behinds. And, of course, the further back we go, uh, when paper wasn't around, uh, then people had to use a lot of other things. It was natural. We forget that paper was not a big part of our lives, well, even a century ago, especially for the poor or those living in rural areas. So, so what did they use? Uh, people used leaves, grass, ferns, corn cobs, maize, fruit skins, seashells, stone, sand, moss, snow and water. And of course, the simplest way to do it is the most obvious. What's that? Use your hand. Oh, OK. Oh. Right, not nice, but that's a modern sensibility, a very modern one. Ancient people understood the need for hygiene, which is why middens were always separated from where people ate or slept. Middens? Dunghills, the toilet, the bathroom, the facilities, the little boys' or girls' room. Only it wasn't a room, it was a hole in the ground, or a natural hollow in a forest, and all you had around you were, well, leaves and grass, so that's what you were used to. That would be all people, right? Well, most people, especially poor people. The wealthy, of course, could use things like wool, lace or hemp. So toilet paper is a sign of wealth? Of civilization. If you define it as totally separating and even denying bodily functions. Uh, OK, OK. But that's a clue as to why people want to stock up on toilet paper, isn't it? It is. They fear the collapse of civilization. So civil society, art, science, sport, culture, the things that we think are the basis of modern civilised society... Are all secondary. What matters most is a constant access to food and toilet paper. <laughs> One begets the need for the other. Well put, yes. Uh, we eat, therefore we... Uh, do number twos. Yes. yes, quaintly put. So there are people, like yourself, who's, who study the history of this kind of thing, isn't there? Yes. We look at toilet practices throughout history, as well as study the contents of the coprolites. The fossilised wastes. Yes, the ancient dung. It reveals a lot, as I said before. The ancient Greeks, for instance, used clay to cleanse themselves. Well, how did that work? We think the clay attached itself to the... Um... Oh, yes, yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. And then you washed it off with water. Oh, OK. If you lived by the sea, you might use mussel shells or seaweed, 
or just the water. Washing is important. Yes, medieval Europeans might use a fountain to cleanse themselves, and uh, that's the origin of the modern bidet. Ah, the bidet. Yes. yes, now it's a sign of sophistication in places like Britain, but in Europe it's a natural element of the bathroom. It reveals that the best way to clean yourself is to use soap and water right after you've done your business. Yes. Indeed. A necessary business. Eskimos, though, did not have bidets. You can't build one out of ice, and it wouldn't be comfortable. <laughs> no, no, it wouldn't. So they used snow and moss. The Vikings used wool. In colonial America, corn leaves were used. The Mayans, we think, did the same. So toilet paper was unheard of until modern times, then? Uh, no, the Chinese invented it in the 14th century. Really? If you look at a website called toiletpaperhistory.net... <laughs> There's actually a website dedicated to the history of toilet paper. Uh, there are quite a few. It's no surprise, given what we've been talking about. Oh, yes, yes, you're right. Go on. According to that website, the first official toilet paper was introduced in China in 1391. But the first mention of toilet paper, which we take to be paper used for personal hygiene, dates back even further to the year 589 AD in Korea. And the paper was produced in large sheets. Well, how large? Around half a metre by one metre. And they were even perfumed. They were, of course, for the Chinese emperor's use. Amazing, right. In Europe and colonial America, paper was a rare commodity, as it was in China, to be fair. But over here, the paper came in the form of books, pamphlets and periodicals, newspapers and magazines, which proliferated in the 18th century especially. And so that's when people started using them for... Uh... Wiping themselves, yes. Yeah. But that was still only the reason reasonably wealthy. And as paper spread, then the lower orders were able to use it too. So, but when was the first toilet paper that we'd recognise around? In 1857, a man called Joseph C. Gaetti produced what he called Gaetti's medicated paper. Gaiety? No, no, gaiety. Though gaiety might be what people felt when they could finally wipe their bums with something softer than the usual newsprint or a corn cob. Indeed. So, so he invented the toilet roll? No, not the roll, but the flat sheets of paper medicated with aloe and watermarked with his name. His name? Yes, he put his name on each sheet. It was a big breakthrough, a luxury item, and he was proud of his invention, so he put his name on it. Like Mr Rolls and Mr Royce putting their name on their automobile. Oh, it's a, a tad different, isn't it? Remember, this was a brilliant new product. Many people were very grateful to Gaiety. Why not put your name on something innovative like that? Oh, OK, I get the point. Yeah. Of course, there is some controversy and competition for the title of Father of the Bog Roll. Is there such a title? Well, in my mind there is. In 1871, one Seth Wheeler patented a rolled perforated wrapping paper. Wrapping paper? The kind used in shops. You pulled a sheet and then separated it along a perforated line. Shops in those days wrapped everything. Oh, OK. Yeah. And the logical thing to do, obviously, was to also produce rolled perforated toilet tissue. Indeed. And it caught on. From the 1880s, rolled toilet paper took off and Wheeler became known as the inventor of toilet paper. But I stress to students that he was the inventor of the roll, not toilet paper itself. Right, and, the, uh, and was the paper 
the kind that we would expect to get from the store? I mean, if they had any. Uh, not quite, because if you fast forward to 1935, you'll find the first splinter-free toilet paper, which suggests... Oh dear, splinters. Paper is made from wood pulp and splinters can slip through and often did, much to the annoyance of the user. Well, it doesn't bear thinking about. Indeed. I do a seminar on what I call the softening of civilizations. Softening? The correlation between the rise of technologies and public health measures, which have made our world safer and easier and, well, softer. It's directly linked to the advent of splinter-free toilet paper. The race to make ever softer paper... In 1942, at St Andrew's Paper Mill, based in Walthamstow, London, produced the first commercial soft two-ply paper. And then in the mid-50s, you get coloured paper. Then in the 60s, one-ply soft paper from Charmin, a brand that's still around. And now you can get all sorts, at least when people aren't panic-buying. And this is a seminar you run every year? I do. We have a special course on novelty toilet paper. Novelty? It's big business. I was in New York not so long ago and I bought this. It's Donald Trump toilet paper. Oh, right. <laughs> a toilet roll with a picture of Trump on every sheet. Oh. Yes, it's clearly aimed at the people who don't like the man, but it's indicative of a cultural need to express oneself through toilet roll. I don't like the man's policies, so I bought this comedy toilet roll. Do you see? Yes, it's an obvious joke. Well, an old joke. One of the oldest. Mm, yeah, but that might actually come in useful soon, if you think about it. I mean, if you run out of the ordinary stuff. I know. It will be a dilemma. I'm very fond of this example of liberal kitsch. Or you could sell it on eBay. I could, but I won't. I'll hold out, I think. I have a stack of academic papers which will come in handy long before I'm tempted to use this. Well, I'm reminded of the famous section in Rabelais' Gargantua and Pantagruel, that 16th century classic novel, in which Gargantua lists all the things he tried to wipe himself with. Indeed, that's the apogee of arse-wiping literature. Oh, is there such a thing as arse-wiping lit? Another of my courses. Uh, the literary tropes of taking a dump. It's the subject of my next book. Oh, right. We're going to include sheets of different kinds of toilet paper so that you can read on the loo and wipe your ass. Clever. Oh, mm, yes, that is clever. So, in Rabelais's novel, Gargantua has what's called a wipe-bummetry discourse about, well, wiping your bum with many different things and comparing their efficacy. It's quite a detailed discourse, isn't it? Very detailed. He starts by explaining that he's been experimenting with many different methods, including a gentlewoman's velvet mask, which he, and I quote, found to be good, for the softness of the silk was very voluptuous and pleasant to my fundament. Then he must have gone into the woman's wardrobe because he then tried one of her hoods, which he found comfortable. Then a lady's neckerchief. Then what could be earmuffs made of crimson satin, but they had gold buttons, which hurt him. Then he tried a page's cap, garnished with a feather after the Switzer's fashion. Switzer? Switzerland. Oh, right. He also tried animals. Live animals? Very alive. Here's a quote. Afterwards, in dunging behind a bush, I found a march cat, and with it I wiped my breech. But her claws were so sharp that they scratched and exulcerated all my perinée. Of this I recovered the next morning thereafter, by wiping myself with my mother's gloves, of a most excellent perfume and scent of the Arabian Benin. He used a cat? Well, look at my cat. 
Doesn't he look soft? Oh, well, he does. Here, Tingles. Come here. <laughs> it's, it's as if he understood your intentions. Well, he's a clever Moggy, but I would never, you know... But, oh yes, but Gargantua kept on trying different things. He did. The list is comprehensive. Sage, fennel, marjoram, roses, gourd leaves, beets, colwort and leaves of the vine tree. He worked himself with mallows, wool blade, then with mercury, with parsley, with nettles, with comfrey, but that gave him what he called the bloody flux of Lombardy. He then tried home furnishings, including his sheets, a coverlet, the, cu the curtains, uh, a cushion, arras hangings, a green carpet, a tablecloth, a napkin, a handkerchief. Then he went outside and tried hay, straw, thatch rushes, flax, wool, and finally paper. And this is interesting. He writes, Who his foul tail with paper wipes shall at his ballocks leave some chips. What does that mean? Paper is not good for achieving a comprehensive result. Oh, oh, I see. So, what would he recommend? Gargantua's research continued as he tried a hen, a cock, a pullet, a calf skin, a hare, a pigeon, a cormorant, and, weirdly, an attorney's bag. Maybe he didn't like lawyers. No one likes lawyers. Anyway, he then concluded that, and I quote again, I say and maintain that of all the turchicals, arse wisps, bum fodders, tail napkins, bunghole cleansers and wipe breeches, there is none in the world comparable to the neck of a goose that is well downed if you hold her head betwixt your legs. That's an image that will haunt me. Sure, but your bum will be spectacularly clean. OK, well, I, I think I might get to your Trump toilet roll before I run out and find a goose. Thank you very much, Lenka, for an illuminating look at why our modern society values the humble toilet roll so much that at a time of crisis, millions rush out to stockpile it. My advice is don't. Just breed some geese and you'll be fine. Well, well thank you. That's good advice. And, dear listener, thank you for your attention. Keep well, keep calm, and keep listening. Goodbye.